Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Peter and John performed a miracle at the temple, and the temple leaders didn't like it. You know, not everyone will be happy about your healing, especially if your healing requires change. If our healing requires change for others, not everyone likes change or wants to change themselves. And so we see that healing can be a process, even a painful one. Not everyone has the patience to endure the process. The leaders threatened Peter and John not to speak publicly about the name of Jesus ever again, and they said, we must obey God, not man. You know, the day may be coming where, where our voices are being silenced, where those who say, you can't talk about Jesus in here or out there. Are we ready to say we must obey God rather than men? So the disciples had a prayer meeting. How many know when you get threatened, it's good to pray? So they had an awesome prayer meeting, and this is what they prayed in Acts 4.29. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Out of this passage, we draw our theme for 2023, which is stretch out your hand to heal. This is more than just a theme. I I believe it's God's challenge for us, each and every one of us, to be prepared to pray for people, to believe God for healing in our own lives and those around us. And so the hand of God is used poetically and symbolically throughout the Bible. So we've been studying different times where the Lord stretches out his hand. And what happens? We know he stretches out his hand to heal, but he stretches out his hand in other contexts as well. For the sake of a review, the first one we studied was God stretches out his hand to deliver. God's people were in slavery to Egypt for 430 years, and he was going to bring his people out of that bondage once and for all. The second thing we studied is God stretches out his hand in love. Aren't you glad? His love never fails. It's loving kindness. Number three, God stretches out his hand to guide. Now, this is important. God can't guide us unless we, won't, unless we let him. We're trying to guide God. We take God by the hand and let me show you how to go to do this, Lord. And this creates challenges for us. And I want to give this quote. I think I shared it a while ago, but it bears repeating from Drs. Cloud and Townsend. So many of people's problems come from trying to control things outside of their control. And when they try, they lose control of themselves. Boy, that's a powerful statement. Let me say it again. So many of people's problems come from trying to control things outside of their control. That's, let's put a period right there for now. So much of our problems come from controlling, trying to control our circumstances, trying to control other people. And when we make that feeble attempt, we end up losing control of ourselves. Number four, God stretches out his hand to save. God is mighty to save. Number five, God stretches out his hand to create. 
God is the potter, we are the clay. And as such, we should not say to the Lord, why did you make me like this? Number six, God stretches out his hand to avenge. God will bring his justice in his time. It's not our place to stretch out our hand against someone in in vengeance. It's God's place. And number seven, God stretches out his hand to discipline. The wilderness brings discipline in our lives to teach us self-control as well how to conduct spiritual warfare. The third generation of Israelites did not know how to fight because they had had no battles. And so God left nations in the land to teach them how to war. And God, there's, sometimes he delivers us from everything. Sometimes it's a process because he's teaching us how to fight spiritually. There are things in our lives that we've got to conquer. We, we love an immediate deliverance and immediate healing, but it's not always that way. But God has a purpose in it. It's to bring us discipline. And here's where we left off last week. And so now let's look at the story of Peter walking on the water. Jesus came to the disciples in a storm walking on the water, and they thought he was a ghost. Can you believe that? They believed in ghosts even back then. And so Peter, being the guy he is, because the Lord said, don't take courage, it's me, it's just me. And so Peter, you know, always speaking before he thinks, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. <laughs> I just, Jesus has got to know Peter by now. And he's, she's, he's probably just shaking his head. Good old Peter. This is going to blow his mind. Go ahead and come, Peter. Come to me. I'm not coming to you. You come to me. And Peter's probably thinking, me and my big mouth. And the other disciples are like, go for it, bro. You think you're something? <laughs> Peter's always trying to be a one-upmanship to everybody else. So that's how, let's look how Jesus responded in Matthew 14, 29. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Jesus could have let him hang there just for a little while. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This passage shows us how, number eight, God stretches out his hand against fear. Aren't you glad? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. This is something that so many people battle with. I've, I've had my own wrestling with fear at times and worry and anxiety. And we know this story is, it's well known about Peter walking on the water, so I won't belabor it too much, but I want to point out a few key things. Peter was miraculously walking on the water until he looked at the boisterous waves and wind. He was good until he looked around <laughs> Considered his circumstances and situation, you know, he was so impetuous that he crawled out of the boat and started walking on water, but then it dawned on him, this is impossible. And he began to sink. You know, when we get our eyes off Jesus, we begin to sink. And note this, fear opens the door for doubt and doubt feeds on our fear. It's a vicious cycle. And Peter was doing good until he looked around and it says he was afraid. 
fear entered his heart because he was doubting. He began to doubt. And when we begin to doubt, we begin to sink. And so when you are facing the storms of life, when you're battling fear, you can't give it too much thought. We give way too much time in our mind to things we can't control and can't change and to our fears. And so when you overthink your circumstances, it opens up the door for doubt. You see, you can think too much, but you can never pray too much. We got to turn our talking into prayer. Our thinking needs to not be negative and what the worst case scenario, our thinking needs to be focused on Jesus Christ and God's word. So I'm, I just want to encourage you, don't give it too much thought. The wind and the waves, your circumstances, your situation, don't dwell on it hours on end. It will not make it better. It'll, not, it'll only make it worse. And so there are times where we got to think less and pray more. And just don't let it consume our thinking. If you think about it too much, it will mess with you. When I was a sophomore in high school, I went to four different schools in four different states from, from eighth grade to my senior year. And so this one, we happened to end up in Alice, Texas. That doesn't sound like a good Texas town's name, Alice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to do something like Dallas, you know, or Houston. But it was named Alice because the guy that formed the town named it after his wife. Could have been Gertrude. I guess Alice is okay. <laughs> so I, I went to a school, and it was 2,500 students, sophomore through senior, huge school. And I noticed something about the drinking fountains. There were drinking fountains located on the outside wall of the boys' bathroom. And so the drinking fountains were on this outside of the wall, and on the inside of the wall were urinals. I know, I said the word urinal. Don't hear that much in a sermon. But this is what would happen. Every time someone flushed, the water pressure in the drinking fountains went down. Let me tell you, that is real unsettling. When you're drinking at a drinking fountain, you hear a flush across the wall and your water pressure goes down. You give it too much thought, it really mess with you. Now granted, it's better than the water pressure going up when they flush. So you just needed to drink your water and not think about it too much. We should not give our circumstances too much thought. We can think too much, but we can never pray too much. And the enemy wants you just dwelling in your mind of all the negative and the impossibilities and how no one can walk on water. Nobody can get through a storm like this. And we give it that thought and we dwell on it and it just destroys our faith. It just begins to cause doubt. And here's another example of God stretching out his hand, Exodus 9, 15. God was speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. And he says, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. By this we see number nine, God stretches out his hand for a purpose. God told Pharaoh, I could have sent one plague and wiped you out. But instead, God sent 10 plagues 
for a purpose. It was to display God's power and fame throughout the earth and through history. One plague wouldn't have done it. It took 10 plagues before Pharaoh finally said, all right, enough, get rid of these people they are driving me crazy. It was a display of God's power and authority and omnipotence and fame throughout the earth and throughout history. We do not understand what's going on. The, the Israelites were still in captivity at this time. And they didn't understand their circumstances. And why is this taking so long? How come God's taking so long to heal me? How come God's taking me so long to get through this? But I want you to know that God will be glorified when you are free. And only he will get the glory, no one else. Because God has a purpose in everything. Your life is not random, it's not haphazard. God has everything in your life walked through for a purpose. And that gives us comfort. We may not always understand why we're going through what we're going through, but know this, you as a child of God, there is a purpose in every circumstance, good and bad. And we have to trust in that, and that will give us a sense of peace. Instead of trying to think it all through, we just have to trust that there is a purpose, and God will be glorified. I'm telling you what, there are so many miracles where God is given the credit and we don't always understand how it happened or why or when and when it doesn't happen. But know this, God is on the throne. He is all-powerful and his fame spread throughout all the earth. It was a display of God's power because with God, nothing happens by accident. Similarly, that's hard to say, similarly, it's like simonin, cinnamon. I had a roommate in college Yes, I'm going on a rabbit trail. I'll help find my way back. But he was from New Zealand. And he pronounced the, the coolest words, like aluminum was aluminum. <laughs> and then books of the Bible, we, I, we'd say Habakkuk, he'd say Habakkuk. So I just love the different uh, pronunciations. That was for free. God stretches out his hand for another reason. This is found in Isaiah 14, 26. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? He not only stretches out his hand for a purpose, number 10, God stretches out his hand with a plan. He's got a plan, Stan, for Paul Simon fans. Set yourself free. Drop off the key, Lee. That one was for free, too. The Lord always has a plan for his people, and nothing and no one can thwart. I love that word, thwart. There's just certain words that, you know, are just cool to say, thwart. And so, number 10, God stretches out his hand with a plan, and here is the final passage we are going to study for today. It was the Sabbath day in the synagogue. And the religious leaders were looking for an opportunity to bring an accusation against Jesus. So they set up this scenario. I don't think the guy just showed up to the synagogue by chance. And many people who were crippled were not allowed to go in the temple. So it was interesting that this guy was allowed in the synagogue in the first place because he had a, a, a shriveled up and crippled hand. And so the religious leaders tried to set Jesus up. How many of you know you can't set up Jesus? 
He always knows what people are thinking. I just, I, I love it how he just thwarts the Pharisees. There's that word again. They think they got him this time. We're going to ask him a question that, you know, he can never answer, and he always blew their minds. So here they are. It's the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and they're looking for an opportunity to bring an accusation against Jesus. So they set up this scenario. They brought a man with a shriveled and crippled hand into the synagogue to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, the Israelites were to do no work from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday every week. This is one of the main reasons. There were two main reasons that Judah and Israel went into captivity. One was idol worship, and two is they broke the Sabbath all the time. And so for those two reasons, and other reasons as well, but those two major reasons, they were conquered, Israel by Assyria, and Judah by Babylon. And so when they were finally returned to Judah, they made a determination, we're never going to mess that up again. So they, they didn't worship idols anymore, and they honored the Sabbath. But they wanted to be so holy, they wanted to make the Sabbath even harder than it was to keep already. You know, sometimes we try to go beyond what God's word has said and make requirements of people that are not in the word. And so it's important that all of us follow the word of God. And so they made, they took the Sabbath day and turned it into an idol, ironically, a, a way to control people. And we know that Jesus set them straight saying that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to serve us. And I still believe in a Sabbath principle. I believe there's one day, at least one day a week we should rest. It's, it's still a biblical principle, but the great thing about it in Jesus, it doesn't have to be on Friday night or, and Saturday night. It can be any day. And so they brought this man with the shriveled and crippled hand into the synagogue to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. Because the Israelites were to do no work. And even the slightest amount of work was forbidden. I had the privilege of going to Israel. And boy, life-changing experience for me. But I thought, I've, it was interesting. We were in the hotel on the Sabbath. And every button is automatically pushed. So that you walk into the elevator, it only goes up one floor at a time. So that you don't have to push a button. Because they consider pushing a button work. And you don't work on the Sabbath. It's fascinating. And Jesus knew that they were trying to set him up. So this is what he did. Look at Mark 3.3. 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So Jesus said, okay, you want to make this a spectacle? We're going we're to make it public. Verse 4, then Jesus asked the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill but they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Is that amazing? They witnessed a miracle right before their eyes. They knew this guy. He had a history and his hand was shriveled and, and broken and Jesus healed the man. The hand became restored. And instead of giving God glory, they want to kill Jesus. It's amazing the, the unbelief and the unwillingness to
to accept Jesus as Messiah. Number 11, God stretches out his hand to restore. The man's hand was restored. Now, this is a different word for healing. I want us to to study this. The word restore, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, even though I've put it phonetically in there. Oh, let me try. Ap oak aphistemai. Yeah, that was just flew right off my tongue there, just liquid <laughs> fluid. But what it means is to restore to a former condition of health, to put back in the original condition. Now, before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no sickness or disease. And Dane C. Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann points out that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. Boy, that's powerful. Healing is restoring things to what they should be. It is not just body and soul, but our mind, our will, and our emotions. God wants to restore us, just like the man with the shriveled hand was restored. His hand was returned back to normal, to the natural way. Sickness and disease is is not the natural way. It's the work of Satan. It's the work of a fallen world, the sin of Adam and Eve. But I believe God wants to bring restoration. That's a healing we need. Not just physical restoration, but our, our relational restoration. Whatever it may be, God wants to restore it in our life to make it look brand new. I love looking on Facebook and the internet muscle cars from the 70s. You know what I'm saying? 60s and 70s, the great muscle cars. Well, I had a 1973 Nova Supersport with an LT1350 Corvette engine in it, a quadrajet carburetor, and cherry bomb mufflers. I loved that car. And to this day, I regret not having that car because I could have restored it to its original condition, and you would all be impressed. <laughs> Pastor drive had a 10-inch lift kit in it. My mom said it looked like a stink bug going down the road. <laughs> Love that car. And I'd have loved to restore it, but I sold it, and then... The person, I think, wrecked it, so it's not going to be restored. But God not only restored a man's hand, he restored the meaning and intent of the Sabbath. See, they had distorted the Sabbath. They made it a burden. It was supposed to be something that brought us rest and peace. And so Jesus is going to restore the Sabbath to what it was intended to be from the beginning. The exegetical dictionary of the New Testament says the restoration of the crippled hand demonstrates the new superior order of salvation which is present in the coming of Jesus. The dawn of the eschatological time of salvation which restores to the Sabbath commandment its profound significance. Restoration of human beings in their integrity as part of God's creation. So the, the, the act of God healing that man's hand is in the same way healing us. Bringing restoration. It's a new day. It's a new Sabbath. One where we find rest in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Worship team, would you come?
I believe God wants to stretch out his hand today. First and foremost, he wants to stretch out his hand to save. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that, to have a new life, to have all your sins forgiven, everything you've ever done wrong, cast as far as the east is from the west, the Lord will forgive you. And he'll also give you eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. But we must believe and we must receive what God has for us. And we must repent of our sins and turn from our ways and follow Jesus. So if you're ready to do that, you're ready to give your life, all of it, to God. You're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let him be the Lord and leader of your life. Is that you today? You want to give your, your life to Christ? Would you just slip up your hand? Anyone in this place today? Or if you're, you knew the Lord, but you know that you've walked astray and you want to be right with God today, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. And I also want to pray in this way. With your heads bowed and eyes closed. Are you battling fear? Is there something in your life that is causing you to be afraid? The storms of life, the waves, you feel like you're sinking, but you're not going to make it. You're wrestling with doubt. You're struggling to believe. The first step is to express your faith. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to call anyone out. But if you're, you need God to stretch out his hand to take away your fear, if that's you, just slip up your hand to the Lord and write back down. Lord Jesus, you saw those hands that were raised. God, they're battling fear. They can't control their circumstances. They see the wind and the waves before them. But Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes that Jesus is walking on the water. The very thing they fear, you have conquered. When you said, be still, the wind and the waves obeyed you. And so, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, be still. The waves of the life, the waves of struggle and fear, be still in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I just pray for those in that battle that you would give them courage to trust you. To surrender to you, God, because you are in control. You have a purpose and you have a plan for their lives. And nothing can thwart that plan. And so, Lord, I just speak peace. Peace. I, I speak faith to overcome the doubt. And, Lord, I just pray that you would bring us through the storm. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? I do want to remind you, if you're a visitor today or, or new to our church, we'd love to greet you right here in the Blue Chapel after the service. There'll be a pastor there to greet you as well. And also, our elders are coming forward. If you need prayer, you need God to stretch out your hand, his hand to heal, God does it through one another. And so if our elders would come at this time, the altars are always open. If you want a private time of prayer, just find a place in the altar. And we will keep our conversation to the foyer because there's worship and ministry going on here.
The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. You're free to go. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.